Welcome to Savvy Business, Life Unscripted, with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential. Hi, Catherine and Michael Redmond. Welcome so much to Savvy Broadcasting Life Unscripted for our Life After COVID series. We're so grateful to have you here this evening. Thank You're you going to talk not me. only about your, your new book, Fulfill the Passion and Provision Strategy for Building a Business with Profit and Purpose and Legacy, uh, Never More Needed. You have some great wisdom to share with the audience, especially during these challenging mm-hmm. times, hopefully past COVID. Um, but welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Appreciate being here. Yeah, we're happy to be here. I'm happy to have you both here too. But you know, before we go swimming in your new book, share with the audience a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are right now. Go. Oh, go get them. Catherine and I are a husband and wife team. We've been married for 18 years. No, no we've been married for 27 years. We like get my numbers mixed up. You did. And I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> we've been married. You didn't 20- say like 10 years. Instead That's, of right. That's right. Well, we've been married 27 years. We've been in business together 18 years. Wow. We've known each other since elementary school, but we didn't like each other until we were in our 20s, really. Yeah, we and were then, friends late in late teens, early 20s. And then we fell in love. And wow. over time, we were, uh, we became pastors at one point. And wow. then career our career life changed and we went uh, into entrepreneurship and started our company 18 years ago to do marketing and business consulting yeah and then from there it's just grown into uh, what we have today and it led us towards ups and downs and curves that we talk about in the book of yeah. what took us to writing the book and then ending up having a course and uh, doing what we're doing now yeah I you know, it's amazing. Uh, life lessons and, and business lessons. A lot of the lessons you learn in business or wherever your your state is, even if you're an employee, there's valuable lessons you can take and use in all parts of your life. Um, through all of your journey together, starting your company together and then consulting and marketing, what, what do you find was like the biggest lesson, if you were to say to date, has been the greatest lesson you've learned so far? Wow, that's a good question. The biggest lesson. There's so many. I mean, like we're learning lessons on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think probably the biggest lesson we've learned, which is kind of our mantra, is that if you are in a situation where you are living in a place of passion, but you don't have provision, i.e., there's no money. So you're doing something you love, but there's no money. That's a problem. It's also a problem if you're living in provision, you have tons and tons of money but you're decimating your relationships and losing your life along the way and your soul. Mm-hmm. So, so one of our biggest lessons that we've learned through the course of the ups and downs of business is those two things, A, they, they're not, um, it's not either or, mm-hmm. it needs to be both and. And we've learned how to do it and do it yeah. successfully long enough that we felt like we actually, it wasn't just a good idea. It actually <laughs> works. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And I, I've heard some people make the argument, well, you know, passion doesn't pay the bills or, mm. you know, just stay. My mom was just like, get, get a job, get real, just get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but suck I suck it up, baby. Suck it up. Suck it up. Just get a job. And uh, yeah. And I was probably in my mid thirties going, this is, can't be the next 30 years of my life. Just can't be. Um, mm-hmm. So how, how did you find that you were able to incorporate both the passion and the provision, because the, the provision I find is the one reason a lot of people don't even leave their job. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. One of the things that was real important to us is uh, really the way I grew up. Uh, we talk about in the book the stories about my father and my grandfather. And my father was one of those people who never could figure out how to chase his passions. Mm-hmm. And so he went into a field, he went into business, and he didn't really want to be in business. He wanted to be in music. Mm-hmm. And he was a very gifted, talented musician and, um, and director and everything else. But he couldn't figure out what that looked like. And he really, he was the first person that said to me, suck it up. You're not going to get this. You're never going to have this utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it to me when I was in fifth grade. And it really stuck with me. And I just kind of went, this is this, you know, that what you were describing at 30, I started hitting at 14 and 15 and 16 years old. And I had my first company somewhere around in there. Yeah, doing a little long. jealous. <laughs> and um, it didn't do much. It didn't do great, but it was, it was nice. And then my grandfather, my mother's dad was a, actually a bus driver his entire life for Greyhound. And he was a man who he loved to drive. And he loved people. And he never, he retired at 62 after 30 some years with the company, had a pension, um, you know, came from the era of, I mean, he was, a, he was an adult when pensions were being created, right? That was a new concept. Maybe we should go from logging that works six months a year to a pension for a company. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he retired and then lived till he was 97. And he, he and grandma actually had a wonderful marriage for oh. 67, 68 years, something like that. That's awesome. um, and, and what I found from him was he, he realized I loved my job. I didn't make as much, he didn't make as much money in the short term as my dad did in times, but my dad was miserable and pretty much self-destructed his life. My grandfather had a happy marriage. His kids liked him. He, his grandkids loved him and cherished him and, and worshiped the ground he walked on. <laughs> and he went and drove his bus and came home every day. And then always talked about when we saw the, the old Greyhound bus, we talked about the bread and butter. Mm. So I, I had this, this flicker of a candle that said it was possible, but I didn't know how, because I, I wasn't going to be just, uh, you know, times had changed. I wasn't going to find a job like that and get a pension and be able to do something. Yeah. So we started experimenting and practicing and failing in the beginning. And um, at one point, our company grew 400%. It, we'd had it about six years. Whoa. And we were we were in that nice still startup phase, mm-hmm. and we went from six figures to seven figures, and we jumped in eighteen months. We did four hundred percent growth, That's and it about cool. killed us. Whoa. Um, yeah, and yeah. we thought we thought we'd hit the mother load, right? We thought we'd hit the ultimate dream, and then all of a sudden we realized, oh my gosh, we have all this cash in the bank, and we have all these customers, and we have all this revenue, mm-hmm. but we we made some major mistakes in growing the company and we created something that all of a sudden we didn't like anymore. And we were faced with a choice when, when we were coming to work and saying, I don't want to walk through the door of our own company that we're supposed to have freedom over. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't. And so we said, okay, we're, instead of closing the company down, which we really considered, Mm -hmm. we looked at, let's try and retool this whole thing. Let's try and fix the mistakes. And the company, because it grew past our leadership, went from 400% to 200%. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we lost half of our business because of our inability to lead at that level. Mm. And Got so it. we started retooling and learning from mentors and everything else. And, and out of that came three core lessons for us that went into the book. Wow. 
That, that's tremendous. And I got so much from you, Michael. What's, what's interesting, and, and this is something we can talk to um, if you're interested, Catherine and Michael, is that so many people feel that in order to make your way and to be successful, whatever that is, you know, because it's different for everyone. It isn't just having money in the bank. What I love about your story is that, was it your uncle or who, my grandpa? Grandpa. Yeah, my grandpa. Yeah, who drove the bus. There's nothing wrong with that if you enjoy the work. I had an ex-boss who, you know, he had a business and uh, he said to me, you know what? My favorite job of all times is when I was a kid working in the delicatessen. That is my dream job. I just love talking to people, serving them bacon and, you know, sandwiches and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he just never did it because, you know, you make more money in business. But Mm. it's interesting how we take our selves into places where we think we should be because that's where you'll be successful or make money and it's not necessarily where you'll be happy right yeah. well and we've we've just met countless people over time who they'll do things like you know they'll look at their spouse and say you know what i just i just have to knuckle down for like three to five years and i'm going to just build this thing and i yeah i'm not going to see much of you but don't worry because like in three to five years i'm going to have it all figured out i'm going to be able to sell this company and then we're just going to live the lives we dreamed of. And in three to five years, they've done that, they've built it, and then they turn around and they no longer have a spouse. Mm-hmm. Right? So so this concept that that we kind of sacrifice everything for the sake of being financially rewarded um, can really come back to bite people and often does mm-hmm. because there's very little life in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So or we do the flip side and we give up the idea that we could actually have financial freedom. Mm-hmm. And have some of those things, especially in a world where nobody's going to really take care of you. No, we're never know. Nobody is confident in social security anymore. We don't know what that's going to look like. Um, so now, how do you work on that? Because the the old maxim is: you either make money and live for the weekends, or you live into your passion, but you're a starving artist. <laughs> and when. <laughs> When you can hold the paradox, if you just understand that A, having the, the goal of, of holding those mm-hmm. is the first step. And then the second step is having a plan that will allow you to do it. And if you can do that and play the long game and not mm-hmm. the short game, you will be so much happier in the end, even through the process. It's not like I have to suffer through that whole process. Not everything's easy, mm-hmm. but you apply your grit and you, and you and you put some energy into it and you realize that at the end of the day, You've done a good day's work and you're proud of that. Yeah. Those days add up. That 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 leads to a quality life and it leads to money in the bank. Wow. You know what I just got from you there? If you're ready to stay for the long haul, one thing I'm getting from our society, and I fall in the trap all the time too, with social media and everything being so readily available, instant gratification becomes the thing. And mm-hmm. even when I got started with my business seven, eight years ago, I was like, all right, why am I not making money? It's day two. Yeah. And so we, we, <laughs> we yeah. want that, like, let's get going here. Let's get this going. And, and without realizing some of the greatest businesses took 20, 30 years or longer to really build to where they're, you know, what we would call super successful before that no one would probably even look at them. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I like that what you just said there, if you're willing to stay the long haul and enjoy the process as you get there. I think one, one of my mentors had said, people come to me sometimes and say, when, when is this all over? Mm. Like the process, uh, you know, when can I chill and, <laughs> and not have to work? And he's like, no, 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 you're in the wrong business. If what you want to do is just eventually stop because it's, it doesn't end. You continue to grow in, in your life and in your business. 
Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that. And we agree a lot so much. I was watching a video yesterday, an old interview with Steve Jobs, <laughs> and he was talking about Pixar when he sold Pixar to Disney. And they were, their interview was going on. And even he realized, he said, most people that look like these instant successes and he himself looking like an instant success, although he was at a different scale than most of us, uh, he said, it's true, even from his perspective, the things that look like an instant success and are awesome, you won't believe how long it took for them, how much work it took for them to become instant. <laughs> right? Not, not so instant. <laughs> right, not so instant at all. Now, you said you uh, you covered three core um, points in your book. Um, Catherine, would you like to share uh, another great lesson or point that you cover in the book? Yeah, so essentially... What we what we talk about in the book is there's th- and is there's three core mistakes that people make when they're building a business. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is not having a clear enough vision, like what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What are the values by which I'm going to do this? And we we used um, the good to great model, the Jim Collins Jim Collins model, mm-hmm. amazing. Like we didn't need to reinvent that wheel, but um, but just to be able to to clearly codify and articulate. What's my vision? What's my core purpose? What are my values? What are the the you know the ways in which I'm going to conduct this business? So core values, and then on the other side, because um, his thing has two halves to it, it's your core identity and then your envisioned future, right? So on the envisioned future side, it's your big, hairy, audacious goal, and then the vivid description, which is how does the world change if I actually achieve this goal? Mm. Like what difference? What difference will it make in my world? In my own family? Um, in my community, in my generations that come after me, which is where you start getting into that legacy piece, right? How is it that that this impacts the world? So the vision is the first piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing we talk about is having um, a clear business model. So we are um, constantly amazed at how many companies, whether they are startups or whether they've been tootling along and doing decent on the bottom line, really don't have a clear model that helps them make sure they're looking at the business holistically. Mm. Um, so if you think to people who are starting up, most of the time, you know, the, the E-Myth author, um, was it Michael Gerber, said people have an entrepreneurial seizure, right? So, so they essentially, uh, he uses the illustration of the person who's um, the baker and she's, you know, she knows how to make cakes. She knows how to bake cupcakes and everyone says, you're amazing. You should start this, right? Or a florist or whatever. You should do this for a living. And so they go, I should. And so they start their business and then they suddenly discover there's more to business than knowing how to bake a cake. Mm-hmm. Right. And as the yeah. business begins to grow, it's like, how do I handle, you know, actually hiring people and, and the legal stuff and all the different moving parts. So, so Ours is not the only model, but we created a six-part model that says, okay, you need a minimum working competence and understanding of these six areas of business in order to really have a strong foundation that you can grow from. And then the third area is leadership. So we really talk about um, what is it what is it to handle um, not just the tasks on the outside of leadership, not just not just what people see, but tackling not just your outer game, but your inner game. So that personal development and willingness to grow, um, you know, to make sure that your business doesn't grow beyond you like ours did, you know, so that you're good at leading people and you're good at all of the different components that make up solid leadership. So those are kind of the three core pieces. 
Hmm. Those were wow. That was a that was a mouthful there. But what's really it stood out for me, and I I myself did not think about this until only most recently, is you hit on the value part. And I, I don't know how many people when whether we just get started in our business life uh, career and just maybe pick up a job, even think about how, what are our values when we set out in the marketplace. Period. Whether it's going to be we're going to be a business owner or we're going to go and be an employee. And I, I, I was tested many years ago on, on this particular um, facet of values. Where do I stand when my company went to a less than optimal place when they became a little dishonest? And, and I was like, well, where do I fit in with this? And so I like that you mentioned not only the vision, but the, having a clear picture. What are your values and what, what do you stand for? Well, so often what happens is companies or we as human beings, let's even make it more practical to us. If we don't have a clear line where we say this is inbounds and this is out of bounds, then things start to wander and veer. And what happens is the tyranny of the urgent takes over and all of a sudden you're, you're head down, you're working on stuff, you're solving a problem here, you're solving a problem there. And, oh, this is coming at you. And all of a sudden you lift up your head and you don't even know where you are. You, how do you, you say things, owners say things like, how did I get here? How did we do this? I, what happened? I didn't intend to be here. I didn't intend to have this mess. I didn't intend to have these customers that are, are driving me insane. And I didn't intend to end up in the hospital with a heart attack. I didn't intend up intend any of these situations. And part of it is, is because nobody taught them somewhere along the line to draw these parameters, not just say, I want to go to the North star, but how, what's going to be inbounds and out of bounds for us. And we had a, a, a friend of ours years ago. I remember him introducing the subject for the first time. And he said, this concept of don't just tell people what you stand for, tell them what you stand against. He actually suggested it would be a great marketing tool. And we said, I think it's a great marketing tool, but it's even more than that. It's a great definition of understanding where are those inbounds and outbounds are. Because when you start to say to people, you know what, I am for passion and provision companies, but we stand against work that sucks. <laughs> sucks the and what sucky work looks like. Yeah, right. exactly. Or yeah. we or you know, with our five core values, fun is one of them. Mm-hmm. If we get to the place where we know we've lost our spark and people are going, you know, you don't laugh anymore. You don't <laughs> smile anymore. You don't, I'm like, well, business is serious or we've got a lot to do or we're really busy that's a really clear indication that we've, we've drifted in somewhere. We've lost our attention to detail or our self-discipline mm-hmm. or we've made poor decisions. Mm-hmm. And then we need to step back and go, okay, if we stepped over bounds, we've got to get back in bounds. We got to get things, the equilibrium set again. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you stay on top of it and pay attention to the big picture on a regular basis as a leader, you don't go out of bounds. Yeah. You get the most, you get the most value out of every day as you're playing. Well, the thing that we'll say too that um, that really makes it practical is that once you've defined your core values, then you have something to hire, train, and fire to. So, so if you can articulate what those are, then you can build a team around you, whether that's employees or whether it's ten ninety nine vendors, you know. But you can build a team around you that that actually has those values that says, "Yes, I I would buy into those values." Mm-hmm. You can also work with clients who share those values mm. so that you're not taking on clients that that violate how you want to do business. Because, you know, when we think about passion and provision, 
you can have clients that that come in that are going to, maybe they're going to double your bottom line in a month, but they're going to destroy your employees. They're going to rip apart your culture. They're going to make you miserable. They're going to call you on Saturday afternoon when you're at Costco. They're going to expect that you respond to every text within five minutes. It's like, it sucks the life out of you. So is that worth it? Mm. Right? So when you define, again, when you define the, the lane in which you're willing to run, um, then you're, you start being able to say no to the things that are going mm. to damage that mm. and, and violate that and take you off course. Mm. One of the other things I love about, about values is one of the problems that companies have as they're scaling is they're going to what we call tier one, tier two, or tier three leadership models. And um, we didn't invent it, but it's a great model. And And what we're saying is a tier one leadership model is I, I've got a small group of people probably 10 to 12, I can oversee all of them. I could manage all of them. But when I go to a tier two leadership, I have somewhere I am overseeing a leader who's overseeing workers, mm-hmm. right? And so then a tier three has that three level structure. Well, every time you go through, a company goes through one of those, it's going through a transition that creates stress and it creates a dynamic of you being the person at top, being further and further away from people on the front lines that are working. Well, there's, there's strategies to deal with this. There are um, systems you can put in place that you must put in place. Mm-hmm. But when you become a value-based or a value-driven company, then all of a sudden leadership decisions become easier to coach into your leaders. Mm-hmm. Because then you can say, you know what, I'm, this is our core purpose. We do this thing for a business. And these are our five core values. I want you to be as creative as you can in solving problems. I want you to encourage your team as much as possible. You have the latitude, as much latitude as you can have. And the only place I'll call out of bounds is when you stop doing what we, what our core, our core business job is, Mm -hmm. and you'll step out of our, our values. If you step out of those, then we've got a problem. Other than that, now you can make decisions. Now I'm freed up to not micromanage nearly as much. And I don't need you to come into the office and ask me what, Michael, what do I do? What do I do today? What do I do today? Because I can say, well, what do you think you should do based on these two things and the fact that we need to make a profit? It's well, clearly defined. It's clearly it's defined. so clear. Yeah. And without being a micromanaged definition that, you, that you've got to come up with. with and with, micromanaging uh, isn't fun for the people getting it. It's not fun for the person giving it. <laughs> no, it's not. Is it? <laughs> really not. Really but not. You, just before, we're, we're going to have to end out soon. But I just want us to touch on the importance of leadership and working on inner and outer um, development, because I thought that was so important. I, I think often we think about, oh, I'm a leader. I, and often people, including myself in the past, will think leadership means I have my crew here and I'm giving them stuff to do, but that's not necessarily leadership. And am I clear of who I am in the midst of my group mm-hmm. and the understanding of development, developing myself? It's an ongoing process. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Speak to that. Well, me? Yeah. <laughs> Do it. We, it's one of your favorite I things. Love, I love, I love it too. But. So when we talk about leadership, there's probably a couple of things to talk about in this in this area that are helpful for this conversation. Mm-hmm. And one is um, the difference, really defining the difference between positional and influential. You know, you can have a position of influence by being promoted, but you can, what they call the Peter principle, you've been, you've been elevated to, to the limit of your influence 
in uh, competence. <laughs> and so no longer, you were really good at the level before. So they up, uploaded you to this, up-leveled you. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but I'm not good at this. I haven't figured it out. I haven't learned it. So it's a positional authority that doesn't naturally associate with actual influence because a leader who has influence and who knows how to use that influence can build people up and make their team work so much more effectively. So now you're you're producing the results together as a group and everybody's becoming a better person in the context of that. And so to do that, you really have to think about what's the difference between an inner game of leadership and the outer game. And the inner game is your own personal development, while the outer game are the actual tasks and relationships that people see on the outside. And it's like an iceberg we talk about. The outer game is really 10% of the whole process of leadership. The 90% underneath the water, that's the inner game. That's the mindset. That's the, you know, when I ask a question like, you know, to not to the leader, but to the people they're leading, is their leadership a function of vision and purpose-driven and love and care for their people? Or do you think theirs is out of fear and they behave in a sense of controlling or um, avoidance, or maybe just making everybody happy. Mm. We have three sections of leaders out there who in their dysfunction in their and it's really like they just haven't grown enough. And what their leadership is, it's a liability. And so in the midst of, they keep running into these places where they may say to people, I mean, I, the one I was thinking about recently was that they make everybody happy. They don't want to upset the apple cart. They don't want to have confrontation. So they're doing everything. I'm, I, you and you are at war. I'm going to try and make you happy. I'm going to try to make you happy. We're going to go with that. We're never going to really deal with the problem. Well, I don't want to deal with the problem. So now I'm operating a spirit of fear or a, an attitude of fear and my leadership gets compromised. Mm -hmm. So when we go from that, that's a really critical part of it. Any thoughts on that, Catherine? Yeah. So I, I heard a statistic the other day that just was really disturbing. And that was basically only about 13% um, of the population are self-aware. So there's only about 13% of humans, let alone leaders, that are actually self-aware, which means there's 87% of people who just think they are, <laughs> right? So that working on the inner game is growing in your self-awareness, growing in understanding what, why do I act the way that I do? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? You know, why do I, why do I come to a situation in the way that I do? What triggers me? It's all that kind of stuff that influences your leadership so deeply. And we would just say that as a leader, you, you need to be developing self-awareness. You need to be growing in your leadership um, in order to be successful for any kind of a long-term. Yeah. And if you can address these issues, the issues of vision, and having a holistic vision and having a holistic model that allows you to make some good decisions and make sure you're covering all the bases, nothing hides. And then you get yourself to the place where you're working on your leadership. What you start to have when you combine that with a desire to have a passion provision company, you have a roadmap, a mini MBA that will allow you to go, okay, I have a plan that can help me get there. I love this. Uh, this perfect, perfect segue for us to, to head on out and for everyone to go get a copy of your book fulfilled. How can they do that? Yes, ma'am. Go to, uh, go to fulfilled the book.com. Nice and easy. Fulfilled the book.com. 
And uh, you can get the book there. It's half off of the price of what it is over on Amazon. If they wanted to find it at Amazon, it also comes with three really cool bonuses that are just extra pieces that we throw in for buying the book from us and supporting. And I just getting the book and getting an idea of, of this picture. It's a great resource, a great handbook to have on the, on the bookshelf. No, I can see it is from our valuable wise talk this evening. You've shared so many wonderful um points and strategies to get people started. If you're already in business, it doesn't matter because there's always a time you can grow. And I find the one thing that I love about business is it's not a one-stop shop. Boom. I got it. I, I don't need to learn anymore. It's like life. It's an ongoing process of discovery and learning. And this has been fabulous discussion tonight. Thank you so much, Michael and Catherine, for coming to share on Savvy Broadcasting tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more savvy episodes and savvy biz tips, go to www.lifeunscriptedradio.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at lifeunscriptedradio.com.